Grace to you and peace from our triune God. God the Father who proclaimed at the baptism of his Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who identified with our own sinful condition by his willingness to be baptized into the Jordan River by John. And by God the Holy Spirit, who tore open the heavens, revealing God in Christ and turning Jesus' baptism into an anointing, an epiphany, a revelation that Jesus was the Christ, which meant the anointed ultimate prophet, the word of God made flesh, which also meant that he was the ultimate priest, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, and the ultimate king, who would reign, obviously, by humility, and also by grace, wisdom, and power. So on this snowy day, we are reminded that things can appear differently very quickly. This first Sunday in Epiphany, that of course signifies God revealing himself and appearing differently. We didn't expect he would appear as a man, except those who are Christian and understand the incarnation. We also are reminded of the power of God to quickly change things, make them look different, not just in appearance, but in essence, their very nature being changed. Think about these verses that describe some of the events going on in the baptism of Christ, either as symbolic or actual. Isaiah would write in the beginning of his book, chapter 1, verse 18, Though our sins may be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Or David, the epic sinner, who after God's grace poured out upon him in forgiving his epic sins, would write this in Psalm 51, describing God as a heavenly launderer. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And finally, the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews, who brings together the baptism of Christ, the sort of epic heavenly tearing, and also the torn curtain temple at the day when he died as our priest and lamb. This is from chapter 10. Since, therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, the new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance, the assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Such is the power of baptism. Water on the outside, clean heart on the inside. God does the washing, the heavenly launder. And such is the power of Jesus Christ, God himself, whose baptism would be literally a window into heaven to reveal who Jesus really was 
and what he was doing in his baptism and what he would eventually do in the baptism that all Christians have, where the Holy Spirit is being poured out. This is the end times happening right now with the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ as John begins his gospel, as Mark begins his gospel. So not many years ago, there was a National Geographic story about Israel during much more peaceful times. And in the story, there was a photograph of a man who had just been baptized in the River Jordan, and he was robed in a white garment, which is very traditional for baptism, both for us and in other Christian communities. And there was a caption underneath that they published in the National Geographic, which I was very thankful for. And although this is not verbatim, it's very close to what I recall reading when I read it the first time. The man explaining to the photographer what the baptism was all about said, and this is the caption, I felt as if God were saying to me, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Pretty good baptism theology coming from the mouth of that man. So on this day when we are beginning our Epiphany season, or at least in our Sunday celebrations, Epiphany was yesterday when the Magi came to Bethlehem and presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's the day we observe it, always on January 6th. That was the beginning of the revelation, the epiphany, that this child placed in a manger was far more than just a regular baby. And so on this reading today, we hear from the Gospel of Mark, he saw heavens being torn open. Now, it's a rendering that you don't often hear in most translations, but I think that's a very accurate rendering. And let's go back to our verse for the day and read this verse once again together. It's on page 6 in your bulletin. Mark chapter 1, verse 10. And I'll give you a moment to find it. At the very top of the page, we read the verse together now. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So the Greek scholar and commentator on the Gospel of Mark, Dr. James Veltz, wrote this about what we see happening in Mark, what we're privileged to see as readers of Mark. He said that what we are really seeing in the words of Mark's Gospel is what Jesus saw. But the way Mark depicts it, not everybody else was able to witness it. Mark wants us to get caught up in the story, so he tells it as though we're seeing what Jesus sees. This is what Veltz wrote. At this point in the story, one should observe that the hearers and readers alone, along with Jesus, see the rending. We get to see this tearing in the heavens that nobody else does, as Mark records it. So as I think about this, I'm reminded of that epic scene in The Wizard of Oz, where the wizard, who has appeared itinerantly throughout the uh, movie as this apparition, giant apparition with smoke and thunderous voice and lightning bolts. And the curtain, as you remember, at the end of the story, is pulled back by Toto, uh, the dog, and exposes a man who's messing around with all this technology. He's just a man. Well, this particular tearing of the curtain in Mark chapter 1 of the baptism of Christ reminds me of that, but in an opposite way. 
you've got this man appearing as a man in the River Jordan, identifying with a bunch of other sinners as if he's one of them, and he really is because he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. But instead of Oz, the opposite is happening. You see the humble man Jesus in the River Jordan, identifying as a sinner, and instead heaven is torn up and it said, here's what's really going on. We have God himself robed and veiled in flesh because he wants to be our redeemer. You don't have just a man here. You have God in Christ. So we as readers of scripture are privileged to get some sort of view, some sort of clear, mysterious view of Jesus that other people don't get, unless, of course, they read Scripture and then they read it with the eyes and heart of faith. We're privileged to get to see something that is not obvious to other people. So I have a story to share. Uh, It's a rather embarrassing story, and it could be far more embarrassing than what it is. It's a story about a young pastor who uh, went out and purchased a fine suit in order to do those pastoral things such as funerals, etc. After one such funeral, he got in the car, stepped down, and the pants of that new suit tore open and realized as he got home he was not going to be able to use that suit again until he had it repaired. Hung it up in the closet. But instead of buying, uh, instead of repairing the suit, he bought a new suit and simply forgot about the old suit. Years had passed, and he looked at that old suit in his closet and said, "Why haven't I worn that?" So a funeral came about, and he put on that suit, went to the funeral home, and after visiting with the family for a while, he was ready to go and get to the church to prepare for the funeral itself. And the funeral director came over and said, "Pastor." I wanted to let you know that you have an enormous tear in your pants, but your underpants are very clean. I happen to know that's a true story because it happened to me. So I call that my gospel underpants story. I'm not going to let a good story like that go by. It's really what's going on in baptism. It doesn't look like much, but what God is doing is he's cleaning us on the inside. And on the outside, sometimes you see Pastor Foote not living up to the standards of God. But on the inside, the power of God's word, the waters of baptism, and his promises have got us covered from some serious shame. Remember that Jesus commanded baptism. The baptism he commanded was different than what he went through. Jesus' baptism served its own purpose as his anointing, his marking, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit, not only in a visible way, but empowering him in a state of humiliation with the proper gifts that he had before he left heaven. And also we read in today's gospel that when we are baptized, guess who does the baptism? Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, is what Mark 1.8 says. God cleans us on the inside as David said he would, as Isaiah said he would. And without that cleansing, you don't have those underpants that I had, which were particularly clean. Thanks be to God. 
So Isaiah wrote in chapter 64 what people have without Jesus. At the end of that chapter, in verse 6, he says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Your friends who do not know the real Christ are walking around with tears in their pants, and they don't have any underpants on, and if they do, they're not clean. They're dirty. And I hate to get graphic, but what Isaiah had in mind here was the portable used toilet paper or the portable used tampons. That's kind of what he has in mind here. That's the way our righteousness on our own appears to God. That's not very clean covering. In fact, it's even more shameful than what we'd imagine. In that particular reading, Isaiah 64, guess how he begins the chapter? Listen to these words. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come down. Sounds like our verse of the day. It's exactly what Jesus did. He tore open the heavens. He came down. He showed us what true righteousness is like. And then he died to take away those stinking rags we cover ourselves up with when we think we're doing the right thing. In Christ and in his baptism, we have a divine cleansing. God is able to clean hearts, not just garments. We wear the white garment. Your pastor wears the white garment. Our our confirmation uh, candidates wear the white garment. Our acolytes wear white garments to remind us of our baptism. But God sees the white on the inside. He sees the pure heart. The book of Joel, which promised at the end times for God to send out the Holy Spirit to pour it out, kind of like heaven being torn open and all this holiness comes out. He would say at the beginning of Joel chapter 2, the same chapter that promises the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, rend your hearts and not your garments. And here's a problem that we all have, but especially those people who are not Christian have. You and I often run around feeling guilty. It's not all bad. The problem is we don't feel guilty enough. And therefore we think, well, we'll just mend it up with a, a simple apology or something. What Joel is saying is that he wants us to have what David said he had, a broken and contrite heart. God just doesn't want us to feel guilty. He wants us to feel broken. That's a good thing. Because it prepares us for the good news of the gospel. Many people stop short of having a torn up heart. Instead they poo-poo it and say, it's really not that bad. But God says, along with James' epistle, that when you break one sin, you break them all. When you break a commandment, you have broken every single commandment. It's a systemic darkness. So I have a lot of holy t-shirts. And I'm not talking about sanctified. I'm talking about literally holy t-shirts. And I wore one today. See, but I have a lot more these days. You can't see it. 
I got it covered up with all sorts of covering. When I think about self-righteousness, I think about the layers of things that people do to compensate for what they know is not right on the inside. And it never works to bring true peace. What God simply asks us to do is to show people the brokenness and show him the brokenness. So at the beginning of this epiphany season and the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, you and I see heaven torn open and we now see Jesus and what Jesus does for us. He gives us the blessings of adoption. So if your memories are good, you remember this is not the only torn curtain in the Gospel of Mark. At the end of Jesus' life, this is the beginning of his gospel, the beginning of his ministry, the beginning of his work to clean us up. There's this torn curtain at the baptism. And the end of the project of cleaning ends with another torn curtain. This is the way Mark describes it in chapter 15. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple of the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. You see, that's a double meaning, I believe. That holy of holies, which is represented by this little railing here, that no one could go into except the high priest one day a year, was a sign of God's ultimate, intimate, eternal presence and power. And it was torn open when Jesus died on the cross. That meant, number one, for all those who trust in Christ, you've got access to God himself. And it also means that God's got access to us. Not only to come to us now that our sins have been dealt with and give us the purity and the promise of forgiveness, but also similarly, every single person on earth who breathes their last, God sees behind the curtain. If they're robed in Christ and they know that Christ is their righteousness, when they breathe their last, they will be joyful and at peace. It's an eternal epiphany of the glories that have been hidden in our heart by the gift of faith. If they don't, they don't get that peace. Baptism is God's great gift. Faith is God's great gift. And as we celebrate communion, interestingly, we are reminded of that torn curtain. God is coming to us to give us the gifts of forgiveness, strength for the journey, and life everlasting. People who don't know about this should be told about that torn curtain. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which goes beyond what we can understand, stand guard of our hearts and minds to keep us strong in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our robe of righteousness. Amen.